Hi, I'm James Verdeer, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. On the second Wednesday of each month, and sometimes in between, we discuss the latest bioscience publications. And as a reminder, if you'd like to read more, point your browser to academic.oup.com forward slash bioscience. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to flag a recent bioscience feature article that you may have missed. It's by John Tibbetts, and it's entitled, Is Forensic Science Scientific? Many of the questions that it raises will be particularly important as law enforcement reform is considered around the country, and so I encourage you to check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Now, moving on to today's episode, I'm joined by Nouria Seed and Thibaut Datri, both of whom are with INRAE, which is the French National Institute for Agriculture, Food, and the Environment. Their article was about monitoring the health of freshwater ecosystems and how a meta-community approach can help improve those assessments. But I'll let them describe it, so let's go straight to the interview. Dr. Seed and Dautry, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Okay, just to get us started, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about, you know, the idea of monitoring, you know, human-caused or anthropogenic impacts and why that might be difficult in ecosystems that are um, highly dynamic. Well, thanks for, for the question. I think, uh, well, this is, a, this is a tricky issue because most of the biomonitoring met metrics and most of the biomonitoring methods are, well, mainly based on local conditions and on a static view of ecosystems. So uh, most of ecosystems uh, are not like that, and especially uh, our example that we use in the paper, which are uh, intermittent rivers. These ecosystems are highly dynamic, spatially and temporally, and uh, across uh, different biomes. They follow similar dynamic patterns. So managers, they, they find themselves uh, in, uh, in trouble most of the time because they, they cannot implement uh, the, the environmental policies that need to be done in this in all ecosystems, in this case, in all freshwater ecosystems. And uh, most of the time, the, the, the measures and the methods used are not working. So it can, let's say, we cannot really detect the anthropogenic impacts when uh, there is this dynamism. So this would be a problem in which, you know, it- you wanted to monitor the ecosystem's health. So you might uh, look at a sample of, uh, you know, water and see what species are present. But if, you know, some of the time the river is, uh, you know, kind of a a raging high flow river, and then other times it's, you know, seasonally relatively still, you would get different sorts of results. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's, well, that's the main problem because depending on on the timing, uh, according to the hydrological phase of this river, you may find completely different results. So when you when you go, for example, to an intermittent river and the, and the water is flowing, you you may still use uh, conventional or traditional methods for the for for the line monitoring if they are connected, for example, to other uh, perennial water bodies. Okay, if the catchment is uh, more connected to other water, to, to other perennial water bodies, but if you go in the during the phase that the river the flow is disconnected, or the river, of course, if the river is dry, you cannot uh, sample a freshwater biota. But when there is uh, when the flow is uh, disappearing, or there is isolated pools but with no flow, the results are completely different. Why? Because the, the ecological communities are, are completely changing. The environmental conditions in these pools are 
completely different from a river that is flowing, and the biotic interactions play a, play a, an important role. But uh, the case of the case, the most important point here is the spatial isolation. Okay, so we have two two things: the flow intermittence and the spatial isolation. So let's say the more flow intermittence you may have in a river, okay, the the less the traditional biomonitoring uh, methods may work. But at the same time, if this intermittent river is placed in an isolated or in a very connected place, this may be modulated. So this is the main idea. So that poses a challenge for those who would you know seek to monitor the health of the river, and it would be then hard to tell if you know the difference in abundance of a given species were a result of you know some broad change like rising global temperatures versus a you know a, a change that is only because of the amount of rainfall you've had in the last month say yeah and also uh, well in now that you mentioned uh, climate change we need to take into consideration that uh, river networks will become uh, more intermittent and perhaps drier, or let's say that the, the extremes no, will, like drought or floods, they will be more intense and, and extensive. So we, we may find that river, rivers that are intermittent are more frequent in the near future, and we may, we, we may not have the, the adequate tools to monitor them. Okay? What will happen in this kind of rivers that, uh, let's say, as I mentioned before, spatial isolation, not only because they are in headwaters, but maybe due to the loss of connectivity. Why? Because uh, the river is becoming more intermittent, so there is more uh, fragments across the river network that get dry. So let's say that species, especially uh, fully aquatic species, they cannot disperse across the river network. But also the the number of let's say in these uh, intermittent river networks or typical seasonal and highly dynamic ecosystems, the dry season refugia that fish or other species like uh, dragonflies and aquatic insects may use during the dry period, they are at risk. Okay, so we need more tools first to monitor these ecosystems and to yeah, and to adapt the current tools. So our paper basically, it doesn't say that uh, like the current methodologies needs to need to be completely changed, but adapted. Okay, taking into account this regional perspective and the dispersal of organisms across the river network. That sounds particularly challenging. So you have a situation in which it's hard to monitor these rivers and you know their ecosystem health under any circumstances, and then you are adding on to that the changes that you know are conferred by a changing climate as well that sounds like a difficult mm -hmm. task yeah well people yeah no it is it uh, is difficult <laughs> <laughs> but it is as people said but yeah this is uh, indeed this is a this is a very difficult task and that's uh why we think that dispersal related proxies like uh, organism uh, dispersal and also the spatial features within the river network need to take into account. Additionally, the flow intermittents uh, in the site, because these are like the local conditions that are influencing your local fauna. But in our approach, what we are trying, we are trying to, uh, let's say, 
uh, go over this challenge by integrating the dispersal proxies. So we, we might be able we'll, we might be able to integrate the dispersal and to know uh, how many of these species may arrive to my target place or to, to the place that I want to assess, that I want to biomonitor. If this place is really isolated, imagine a headwater stream that is that is really pristine, there are no human impacts. And theoretically, uh, this site should have like the best values of biological indices, okay? Like the highest, uh, like the highest richness of species. Sometimes it's not because of this isolation, because many species they cannot arrive there, depending on this uh, spatial configuration of the sites. Let's say that if there is a there is a lot of mountain ranges, or if the species they have low dispersal capacity. Okay, so it's it's a bit uh, challenging, but if we have the information now, there is a, a an ongoing database on the dispersal of macroinvertebrates, which are in uh, organisms that are widely used in biomonitoring of rivers. So taking that information and taking uh, the information on the on the spatial configuration in this river network, we could let's say better assess this ecosystem. Now we need to test it, of course. <laughs> so that sounds like you know one of the hallmarks of, of an improved approach is that essentially what you're doing then is incorporating what you know about the physical characteristics of the ecosystem, the connectivity, alongside the dispersal characteristics mm -hmm. of you know the the biological species you're you're looking for, and then seeing how those compare to what you would expect. Yeah, exactly. Because one, uh, like the methods uh, on biomonitoring are based on comparing like a, ref a reference group of sites with your impacted site. Okay, so you obtain a reference value for which you compare the the other tested sites that you want to biomonitor. Okay, so this is the this is main. Basically, this is the key to obtain a reliable uh, reference sites or reference conditions or a reference value that you can compare. If you are like in a in a in a catchment or in a river network, it's I mean when I'm talking about a river network, the spatial scale, I'm not talking about like big river catchments. Okay. I'm talking about uh, relatively small uh, spatial areas. I mean for instance not not river basins about ten thousand square kilometers. So we basically we are trying to apply this uh, this approach in, uh, in in catchments where all the species can be connected okay so all the sites and all the species can form a meta community okay which are uh, sets of local sites of communities connected with each other so if these communities are not connected with each other we cannot consider that we are talking about meta community okay they, they, they should be divided or subdivided within the big catchment Anyway, once once I said this, the tricky part is to obtain these reference values, or let's say uh, reliable reference values to which we can compare. So if this if this catchment is a it's composed by uh, high mountain ranges and there is a high level of flow intermittence, let's say it's very isolated, uh, we may find different reference conditions for one that is highly connected and the, the flow intermittence might be different. Okay, and that seems to kind of speak to a real importance for 
you know, sampling and looking at things at a scale that is properly suited to the, you know, biological and physical characteristics of the catchment? Yeah. Well, basically, uh, well, there's, there's a bit of, uh, this is also a challenge, okay, because this is kind of, uh, and it may vary for the different target organisms, okay, because, for instance, uh, fish are used to biomonitor rivers, but they have lower dispersal capacities than maybe insect, aquatic insects or macroinvertebrates, that they have also aerial and terrestrial dispersal. And also, for instance, compared to diatoms, that due to their small size, they can disperse to longer distances. So first, we need to know what is the uh, target community we are using to biomonitor, okay? And then the second issue here would be to know what is the spatial scale you're working. Okay, so in, in, our, in our study, we, re we recommend uh, not really small spatial scales, but not really large. So let's say we would recommend like a subcatchment spatial scale. I don't know, Thibaut, do you agree with this? <laughs> Yeah, I would, I would just one example maybe to to make this self-speaking is if you want to do bio if you, if you apply this to the Mississippi catchment exactly maybe some species are able to colonize the entire catchment but for many they will be restricted to subcatchment just because they don't have the dispersal abilities to go from the mouth to the headwaters that sense um, the, the the methodology. We have produced should be applied to subcatchment, and this is probably also matching with the relevant scale at which management plan are being uh, done. I guess. Yeah, this is completely in line also with the river typologies. Of course, nowadays, I mean, we are not inventing anything new about that. We are just saying that dispersal processes, let's say, as I said before, the the, config the spatial configuration of sites and the connectivity between them and the dispersal capacity of organisms need to be integrated to be more efficient. Okay, but uh, of course, this needs to align with, uh, with the current management practices that are also using these kind of uh, river typologies. Okay, the only difference, in my opinion, is that uh, for instance, now, if you like, I'm gonna talk about the, their geographical area. I know the most, which is Europe, and the, water, the application and the implementation of the water framework directive. There are different typologies, and uh, these typologies can be, let's say, in the in the whole biogeographic area. Okay, for instance, in the Iberian Peninsula, there are different typologies, but they exist across the whole peninsula. So we are not considering that the species may be uh, connected at the subcatchment level. Okay, so basically we are we are proposing that each subcatchment needs to have their reference values. Okay, so you build the reference values at that subcatchment level. And one thing you know you mentioned a few times in the article, and I was curious about, is the idea of which species you subject to biomonitoring. Mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you know fish may not be as good at dispersal as uh, you know, for instance, dragonflies or other aquatic insects. What species are you know the most effectively monitored if one's aim is to you know gain a, a complete view uh, or a more complete view, I should say, 
of you know the subcatchment and then you know have that data be able to be extrapolated over wider areas well this is this is uh, established in the in the protocols worldwide like in the us and also in the water framework directive and basically the we have uh, a group of fish we have macroinvertebrates then diatoms let's say biofilms and sometimes also they they use macrophytes this is these are the let's say the biological quality elements to assess to assess uh biomonitor rivers nowadays okay and uh they yeah, they are present in most in most of the methodologies about uh, river river biomonitoring but uh in terms of the your question about the spatial scale and the and the subcatchment i think that fish are the the most uh could be the most limited because they have the lowest dispersal capacities, and this this has been seen also in in the Iberian Peninsula or in Europe that uh, yeah for fish the indices that they are applying and the metrics most of the time they are at least catchment specific because uh, there is a lot of optimisms. so uh, yeah species sometimes and the indices may work for one catchment but not for another. Okay, thank you. And you know, you've talked through um, the first uh, two or three steps of the framework that you describe in the article. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about the the second two in particular. How do you take this sort of information and you know build it into a predictive model, mm-hmm. and then actually assess how the you know the health of the ecosystem is performing uh, versus that prediction? Well. We are still uh, doing that, <laughs> so this is let's say this is the next paper sure. to test to test this approach. And uh, yeah, maybe yeah, maybe we will be wrong, but we hope not, because this methodology, this predictive modeling, has been already applied in Mediterranean rivers before, but not in this way, not considering dispersal, but considering uh, flow intermittency, and it worked quite well. So we we are hoping that uh, that it will be successful, and also uh, it will let's say that it will allow to integrate this variability in the ecosystems because some other methodologies, let's say, are more uh, they create more uh, categories of rivers, while this predictive modeling it creates more like a, a continuous values. Of uh, of metrics and indicators that can be assessed across these observed and expect values of the gradient. So to me, it's 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 a more flexible uh, methodology in this case, of course. And what sorts of management actions are then guided by this type of modeling? You know, assuming that you know that the results from this are are positive and that it becomes a valuable predictive tool. What kinds of things will managers do differently then uh, if they were to follow a model such as this one? Well, first, first of all, uh, we really hope, we really do hope that it may contribute to the, to the better management and biomonitoring of uh, intermittent rivers. Which now, now this is progressing quite well. And they are being, uh, at least in, in Europe, in the water, under the Water Framework Directive, there has been many different projects uh, targeting this objective. And this is going in a in a good direction, but this uh, spatial and this the, the, the effect of dispersal on organisms is still missing. 
And again, not only in intermittent rivers, but we are using this as example because it's where you can see this the most and it's more, it's more clear. But maybe it could be also used in uh, vernal pools or in other, in other type of ecosystems that also are highly dynamic, as we, we are also commenting this on the paper. And uh, we think that predictive, well, predictive modeling, yeah, could be also used beyond, uh, beyond rivers. So I'm wondering now, you know, um, what's next for this research? Is it, is it more monitoring of actual intermittent rivers and checking the model's performance against um, reality? Or, um, you know, what's, what's next on your research agenda? Yeah, the next, the next point is to test this with macroinvertebrates and really apply this approach okay, to, to show that this, this methodology can, can be operational and can be applied uh, in river networks. And also we will see uh, if the spatial scale is adequate, how, what is the relative influence of flow intermittence and also this dispersal capacity of organisms. But the next steps, they consist on con comparing this approach across different climates because maybe if we are analyzing this in Mediterranean climate streams, which are more adapted to this dynamism of uh, flow and drying, flow and drying, more, let's say more seasonal uh, ecosystems, the results might be different than uh, in, in intermittent rivers that they don't follow this predictive uh, flowing and drying as in the Mediterranean. So another target <laughs> would be to compare is uh, across climates. And lastly, uh, we would like to see if this may work uh, with different target organisms. I said before, target uh, checking it for fish communities and comparing with macroinvertebrates and, and diatoms too. Yeah. If, I, if I can add something, Noria, is that yep. this is applied aspect, but in the meantime, uh, um, we are working on this mm -hmm. time on improving uh, basic knowledge on dispersal capacities of, of organisms because that it's currently not easy to determine the, the dispersal ability of most species using in biomonitoring, whether they are fish, invertebrates, or diatoms. So from a basic perspective, we are going to use novel tools like molecular tools, for example, or isotopes, or to improve in the next decade our knowledge of uh, the dispersal abilities and capacity of, of organisms used in biomonitoring. Exactly. Yep. And just a final question, and it's uh, you know kind of an obligatory one, I would almost say at this point. Uh, but I'm curious about how the current global pandemic situation has affected your research. I'm assuming that it's placed all of your field work on hold and things like that. Um, you know, what are prospects looking like in the future, though? Uh, it has been paused, of course. <laughs> but uh, now we are trying to yeah adapt it with. Uh, pro new protocols which involve wearing masks, of course, and uh, yeah, coming coming back to the field very soon. Well, I, I hope you're able to resume that uh, very very soon. Thank you both very much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, James. Thank you, James. Thanks a lot.
And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you, and talk to you next time.